Dawson. Welcome to episode six of the Restoring Connections podcast, helping you to build depth and resilience and strength into your most important relationships, the ones that you really want to last for a lifetime, helping you navigate points of pain and frustration uh, in a way that actually builds your connections. So this episode is, Are We Fighting the Right Battle? A Guide to Pursuing Connection Instead of Correction. That rhymes. I don't think that was supposed to rhyme, but it does indeed. I'm reading directly from the blog on our website with that same title. Our website is mattandcoradawson.com. So if you'd prefer to read it, then you can find it there. Um, I'm just going to be reading it and providing a little bit of commentary on my way through. Okay, here we go. Let me give you a little sneak peek into my world. It's Monday morning. Cora and I are having our weekly How's Our Connection checkup. We're probably talking about a tricky situation from the week before. As we share our thoughts with each other, we're both feeling great about having some unrest time to deal with the less urgent, more important things in life. Suddenly, the conversation shifts. She has just said something that I don't like, and suddenly I'm no longer feeling good. I feel hurt, or indignant, or at least annoyed, or quite likely a combination of all three. What I say next will either take the conversation deeper, or drive a wedge between us. I have a choice to make. Okay, let me back up and give you some context. The two of us meet for a couple hours every Monday morning to work on identifying things in our relationship and our family flow and with our team that are out of whack, things that are not in sync. I deliberately create the space so that it's as easy as possible for Cora and I to tell each other things in our lives that are causing us stress. It took me about 12 years of marriage to realize how incredibly helpful it is to deliberately make space for these kinds of conversations. I've found that if you don't proactively make a safe space for pain and frustration to come to the surface and be discussed, The conversations will still happen, just far more reactively and most likely at the most inconvenient moment possible. This isn't just true for marriages. Any relationship that involves at least one human being is going to occasionally involve pain and frustration. So you got to make those safe spaces for that stuff to come to the surface. The first and most important goal of these weekly times together is to understand each other and to feel connected to each other. Once we've obtained that, The secondary goal is to explore how we can serve and love each other and our kids better and hopefully to agree on some practical ways that we can improve our family flow. We don't attempt to pursue goal number two until goal number one is achieved. The order is really important. That might sound simple, but quite often I find myself wanting to skip goal number one, skip the understanding, the connection, and just get straight to number two. But yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, back to the meeting. Cora has just expressed that I've been doing something lately that she's finding frustrating. I'm cool with that, but there's a problem. She's quoting something that I said this morning, but I think she's getting my words wrong. She's referring to something that happened yesterday, but I actually think that happened last week. She's sharing her thoughts on how my actions affected one of our kids, but I strongly disagree. In my mind, she's got all the facts wrong. Side note, it's extraordinary how quickly I can go from utterly carefree, generally completely stoked on life, Matt, to semi-furious, wants to launch a nuclear warhead on everyone he loves, Matt. Hopefully you can't relate to that, but maybe you can. 
How I respond to the situation I'm in right now in this moment will depend on my values and my ability to keep my behavior aligned to those values, aka self-control. What's more important to me in my connection with Cora? Being right about these facts or being connected to her in this moment? That's the question I need to ask myself. I have to decide which one I will go after. Which one will be my focus? Which one is more aligned to what is truly important to me? Part of me, no doubt, wants to correct her, to expose how wrong she is, to remind her of how much more rational and sensible than her I am. This is the reality of the stuff that lurks in my soul. When I'm hurting, when I'm offended, I crave being right. However, underneath all of that, the truth is what I actually really desire is to be connected. If I pursue the path to rightness, hey, I might get it, but I'll also get all that comes with it. She will most likely feel corrected. She will feel exposed. She will feel discouraged to share her heart with me again. And I will have won the prize of my pride, a steaming pile of isolation. And I will have lost the prize of love and care, which is trust and intimacy with my closest friend. Are you rearranging the deck chairs? That's the next heading here. David Stevenson, one of the most important mentors in my life, used to ask me a question from time to time. Hey, Matt. You're rearranging the deck chairs again, mate. It was shorthand for rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. When the entire ship is on its way to the bottom of the ocean, this is an obviously stupid thing for anybody to be focused on. In short, he was highlighting, hey, I might be getting too caught up in insignificant details to see what was more important in a situation. And it used to really bug me because I knew that there was truth in what he was saying. Looking back, I'm so grateful that he cared enough to challenge me in those moments with that probing question. The older you get, I find the more aware you become of the aspects of your own journey that have been an adventure in completely missing the point. Looking back on the last 15 years, being married to Cora, and as I think of my closest relationships, my deepest regrets are the times when I have made a higher priority of being right than being connected to Cora and the people who have been my closest friends. I'm not saying that it's impossible to be both right and emotionally connected to a person you love. I am, however, certainly proposing that you have to decide which one you will pursue primarily. You have to choose which one is more important to you. You might end up with both, but you cannot pursue both equally at the same time. So next heading, what you have to gain and what you have to lose. What is it about being right that is so appealing to us anyways? When it comes to cultivating deep, strong relationships with the people you love, what do you actually gain from being seen to be right? Think about it. What was the last argument you won against one of your kids or your spouse or a friend or a person online that you barely know who commented on a post from another person that you barely know? How long did the joy of being right in that moment last? Can you tell me about the amazing outcomes that it produced in your life and around you? I doubt it. Furthermore, the worst thing to try to be right about is the selfish, destructive ambition that may be lurking in another person's motives. Honestly, don't go there. For most of us, our initial reaction to feeling pain or disappointment in a relationship is to form an opinion, a judgment, about what was motivating the person to do or say whatever it was that they did or said that we didn't like. If you have formed your own conclusion about the selfish, immature intention lurking inside of another person, whether you are right or wrong about it, the judgment that you are now bringing into the connection is just as bad, if not worse, than whatever they've done to you. We have nothing to gain from being right 
about the evil intentions within another person. Inversely, we have everything to gain by exercising our ability to assume the highest of a person's motives, even when they've caused us pain. I'm not suggesting that this is easy. It's not. But side note here, it, it, we're really just offering someone, I mean, if you put, it, you, you put the shoe on the other foot, you just think how you would want somebody to approach you. We're just asking for that same level of, of um, the assumption that my heart is in the right place. And you can honor yourself. You don't have to dishonor your own emotions to be able to, to honor another person. You can say, hey, I'm assuming that your motives are good and right and pure. And I'm also clear that what you've done has hurt me. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Deciding what's important to you when you're hurt and mad can be really hard. Sometimes you need a friend to help you process what's actually worth fighting for. Sometimes a mentor can help remind you of your own core values and help you back away from the edge of the cliff. I know I've needed that in my life many times. You think you know, but you don't know. That's the next heading here. Cor and I have a saying, you think you know, but you don't know. We say it to each other all the time to remind each other to give people the benefit of the doubt when they do things that hurt or annoy us. Honestly, I could fill an entire book with stories of me thinking I had the full picture in a frustrating situation only to discover facts that would then completely change my perception of a person's behavior. It, it happens all the time, which really shouldn't come as a surprise seeing as how I am not all-knowing. When someone asks me for help, with an important relationship, sometimes the first thing I'll get them to do is write down every single negative thing that they believe about the other person's motives. I tell them to write this line at the top. You act this way because dot dot dot. And then I tell them, fill the page with endings to that sentence. Most people find a Niagara Falls level of flow of motives very quickly. Once they're, they, once they're done, filling that entire page with all of that judgment. I encourage them to draw a huge X over the entire page and replace it with something I believe is far more true. I have no idea why you do what you do, but I know that it hurts me. Okay, next heading, what do you want? We can see in the first few books of the New Testament, those are the ones that are um, unpacking the story of Jesus while he was on earth, Jesus was often putting pressure on his disciples to choose. I believe that this is because he wanted a genuine relationship with them, like he wants a genuine relationship with you and I. Had they made up their own minds about what was important to them, what would they spend their lives working towards? Like Noah in the notebook, drenched in the pouring rain, asking Allie, what do you want? It seems Jesus was always putting a healthy pressure on people to make a decision about what was truly important to them in life. Perhaps being seen to be right is your highest goal. Hey, maybe that's the reality, your end game. I found that Jesus offers a path that leads to something a lot more precious than that. He offers a path to vibrant, real connection with everything, starting with himself and with his dad. Do you think suing them might help? That's the next heading. Sometimes Cora will suggest that someone file a lawsuit against the person that they feel hurt by. We're not generally big fans of people suing each other, but sometimes asking the question, should you sue them, brings clarity to the surface of what is actually important to the person. They pour out their frustration and anger about what they've experienced. It's so wrong, they say over and over. Just like me, in their moment of pain, there's part of them that is crying out to see the offender exposed and punished. Do you think suing them might help? Cora asks. 
Um, and then they look at her in shock. She explains, if their priority is to see the person exposed and shamed and condemned and shunned, then perhaps they should appeal to the government of man, which has all the systems and tools to do that. If, on the other hand, they want to restore trust and intimacy with that person, they may need to appeal to a different authority for a different kind of justice. They may need to pick up a different set of tools to, find a, to fight a different kind of battle and pursue a different kind of outcome. You cannot go down both paths at the same time. You have to choose. Three things to help you in your journey. Okay, so what does this practically mean for deepening and strengthening your, co your closest relationships? With all of the above in mind, I've got a few things for you to consider. The first is to face your inbuilt addiction to being right. I think that this struggle is common to every one of us. Take a good hard look at what it costs you to pursue the goal of being right and what you have to give up in the process. And I ask you this question, honestly, is it worth it? I say let it go, friend. Give yourself to the higher eternal purpose of being connected, firstly to God and then to those you love and then to the rest of humanity and then finally to all of creation. An important part of this process is to take the time to get to the bottom of why it's so scary for you to be found out to be wrong. In relationships, fear never pushes us towards anything good. If you're afraid of being wrong, find out why and get the healing that you need. It's wonderful to be in a relationship where you're not afraid to be wrong. That's a strong relationship. If you can get comfortable with the idea that you are going to be wrong a lot in life and that being wrong doesn't need to threaten your most important relationships, then you're going to be in good shape. The second encouragement is to ruthlessly weed out judgmental belief, beliefs about the people you love from the garden of your heart. With the help of God and or trusted friends, sink your hands deep into the soil of your emotional world and wrench out everything in there that isn't going to gross into something that feeds you in the season to come. Another way of looking at it, flush the toilet of your heart. That's how I describe forgiveness. You don't need that stuff hanging around. Okay, whether or not the negative and judgmental beliefs you harbor about a person's motives are accurate makes no difference. True or false, either way, it's toxic to you and to your relationship with that person. Weed it out, flush it down. The third and final one is to take all the creative energy that you've been putting into determine exactly, determining exactly why and how others are so wrong and to instead channel it all towards learning about yourself and being in touch with your emotions, with your heart. Learn to be aware of what you're actually feeling and why. It's a funny sort of paradox that the less people are aware of what they're feeling, the more likely I find it is that their feelings will govern their behavior subconsciously. Conversely, the more in tune you are with what you're experiencing emotionally, the more power you have to determine a wise and loving course of action given the reality of what you're feeling in that moment. It's a very powerful thing to have a mind that is totally in sync with your heart. I believe that was the case for Jesus and can be the case for us. Understanding builds trust and trust creates a foundation for partnership. Make the pursuit of understanding your most foundational priority in your most precious relationships because that's what builds trust. Once you've got trust, then go after agreement. Partnership built on trust is so good. Molten hot lava, baby. So there you go, friends. Just a few thoughts to ponder. I hope you found it helpful. As always, please feel free to comment below or message me privately. If you'd like to grow in your capacity to love well, we would love to support you in that 